Amen. That will be a glorious day when all the ransomed church of God will be saved to sin no more. Brothers and sisters, that's where we're headed. God's purposes cannot be thwarted, and it is His commitment to conform us to the image of His Son. That's to be saved to sin no more, to be conformed to the image of His Son. Part of that image is on display in 1 Peter. And so turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to be thinking this morning about verses 13, 14, and 15. And as usual, the words of the text will basically be what our message is structured around. And Peter has uh, plenty exhortations and encouragement and challenges for us in his letter to those new uh, Jewish and um, Gentile Christians scattered abroad in various cities in Asia Minor. And uh, earlier in chapter 2, Peter reminded us of our new identity in Christ. We are chosen race, that's a label. A royal priesthood, that's another label. A holy nation, that's another label. His own special people, that's another label, isn't it? Wow, we got a lot of labels stuck on us. They're all glorious. They're all glorious, aren't they? All the things that you are. In Jesus Christ. There's more, of course. Uh, his own special people. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we belong to him. And we could add more, but I won't repeat more. We are to see ourselves in these identities, regardless of how the culture around us labels us. <laughs> they stick a whole bunch of different labels on us, don't they, as Christians? So we've got two sets of labels. Uh, one comes from God. One comes from our fellow lost sinners. Which one's more important? What God labels you with or what a fallen culture labels you with? And teenagers. That's the battle, isn't it? What's more important? What God labels you with or what your peers label you with? And that's very practical, isn't it? Think about those labels when you're fighting your flesh and peer pressure and all that kinds of things. Whose labels do you want to rejoice in and have on display? The world's labels or God's labels? Think about God's labels. That's what helps us. Think about that and you'll, you'll behave differently. I will behave differently when I'm conscious of those labels. It's such a powerful concept. We find it multiple places in the New Testament. Well, uh, with this explanation of our new identity in Christ, Peter proceeds to instruct us how to live as God's holy nation and God's royal priesthood, some of those labels that he put on there. And breaking in at verse 12, which we saw last week, we are to have our conduct honorable among the Gentiles. That's a reference to unbelievers. To have our conduct honorable among the Gentiles means honorable among unbelievers so that when they speak against you as evildoers, there's those labels, <laughs> when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. 
Our behavior ought to be such that unbelievers will notice a difference. And that will become a means of their conversion to Christ. That will be part of the process of unbelievers being converted to Christ because they know you're different. They notice you're different. We went through that last week. We are called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. That must make us appear different. And one of those areas that stands out is that real Christians respect authority. Peter begins with the matter of our response to authority when he describes the honorable behavior and the good works which unbelievers will observe. He begins with this matter of authority. Verse 13, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. That's what we're called to. There's a lot there. In this major section of Peter's letter, beginning at verse 13 of chapter 2, he exhorts us to submit to authority. Living an honorable life before unbelievers has much to do with respecting God's established authorities. In verse chapter 2 here, 13 through 18, we have authority in the realm of civil government. Later in chapter 2, we have authority in relation to masters and servants. Chapter 3, we have authority in relation to wives and their husbands. Later in chapter 3, we have authority regarding how husbands ought to treat their wives. And then later in chapter 5, we have this matter of authority between uh, us and elders. So let's begin with Peter's exhortation that we are to submit to the civil authority. First, consider the command. It's very simple. Submit yourselves. Submit yourselves. Something you must do. You must submit yourselves. We are to obey the will of another. That's what it means. Obey the will of another. Not my will, but I submit to the will of another. That's what it means. We are responsible to acquaint ourselves with the laws of our government and submit ourselves to them. That's what we're responsible to do. That's what Peter says we're responsible to do. The matter, of course, can become a very big subject as it relates to the whole matter of church-state relationships, of course, and the lordship of Christ over us individually. But we can't water down the basic approach, the basic attitude that believers are to have, and that's we should go out of our way to submit to God's constituted authority. Questions concerning what to do when the civil authority conflicts with Christ's authority over us, those are difficult. Christians have always faced that. And I would refer you to to our 34 lessons on Wednesday evening. 
We worked on those difficult subjects for 34 Wednesday evenings. We tried to turn over every rock. Those, those that attended, we all didn't agree with each other, but we surely did expose ourselves to this whole matter of Christians and the civil government, which, of course, is becoming more and more pressing as our civil government gets out of bounds with the authority that God's really given them. So we're not going to turn this into a topical series on those kind of questions, but uh, those videos are unlisted. We didn't want to get into arguments with other churches or do all that. They're unlisted. But if you would like those videos on God and government and all the different aspects, we even go through all the statements of faith historically. We go back, we pull out statements of faith from those who have gone before us. And how did they, what did they put in their statements of faith about the magistrate? All of that is in there. Just email me and I'll send you the list of links uh, so that you could uh, go in, in a little deeper. I will say a few things. Uh, as we go forward. So for the next uh, few weeks, we will confine ourselves to Peter's exhortation to us. And I'll mention a few of those questions uh, as, as we go here. So we are now following the text. We are to submit what? To every ordinance of man. There, right, it's right there. What does that mean? The most common use of the term here is actually creation. Every creation of man. And it can be used in relation to the creation of authority structures. Every creation of man, authority structures. The lexicon gives us this definition. A system of established authority that is a result of some founding action. Governance Governance system, authority system. The areas that Peter mentions in the text give us an understanding of what he means by every ordinance of man. We have examples. Every ordinance of man, what? Then he goes on. To the king as supreme, that's an example. Or to governors sent by him, that's an example, right? To those who are sent by him. We call that civil authority. So part of this every ordinance of man, Peter gives us concrete examples. The civil authority and those others that I mentioned, those are all ordinances of man. Most newer translations translate here, they have submit yourselves to every human institution. Now that seems overly broad to me. (laughs) That makes me squirm a little bit. Submit yourself to every human institution. I won't use other words. Well, every human institution created by whom? Okay, that's the question. Created by whom? So I'd say the concept is every sphere of human authority which God has established for humankind. That's, that's my working definition. Every sphere of human authority which God has established for humankind. And we think of civil authority, husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and servants, church elders and members. Those are spheres of authority that God has established in His Word. There's like five of them. Peter mentions four of those five. These are human institutions, but they're established by God as our Creator. 
They are. They're just not the whim. Those five that I've mentioned are not just the whim of mankind. Those are authority structures created by God himself for humanity. And so I think Peter's exhortation is submit to all of those that God has established for humanity. And I think there are those five. Maybe you could think of some more, but I think those five pretty much cover it. God's calling us to submit to the authority in those places. The king, that's a reference to the emperor in this context, the king as supreme. So there are degrees of human authority. The king as supreme in his day, that was true. Or to governors as to those who are sent by him, those who are sent by the king. In the Roman Empire, we immediately think of procurators and proconsuls, if you know how Rome was set up. There were procurators of imperial provinces, and there were proconsuls of senatorial provinces. Okay, those are the governors sent by the, by the emperor. So you couldn't say, well, I'm not going to obey uh, Pilate, right? I'm only going to obey the emperor. No, 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 no. <laughs> that doesn't work. Pilate is one of those governors sent for that providence, either as a procreator or a proconsul. I'm not sure which one he was, one or the other. So they have their authority from the emperor sent by him. So the concept of delegated authority is biblical, okay? You know, you can't say in your job, well, I'm not going to submit. I only submit to the president, not my direct report, you know. I don't submit to my direct boss. I only submit to the president of the company. No, that isn't going to work, okay? Your, your direct boss is a reflection of that delegated authority from the president of the company. So... So you, you, that principle, of course, works. The, the delegated, delegated authority. Uh, so, as Christians, our starting point should be endeavoring to comply. Yeah, that should be our starting point. Endeavoring to comply. Our natural disposition should be towards submission. Now, wow! <laughs> you want to be different? <laughs> that is different. Natural disposition to submit to authority? I don't know how you were born, but I know how I was born. <laughs> okay, and it starts right away. <laughs> None of you were born with a natural disposition to submit to authority. I would venture to say theologically, we were all born with a natural disposition to rebel against authority. And unless we're converted, that never really goes away. But when we're converted, amazing things happen. Okay, That's right. And as Paul wrote in Romans 12, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. You know, uh, teenagers and all of us in our relationships, if we had more of a bent towards submission, it might create peace. (laughs) Not talking about compromise. Not talking about compromise. Submission to authority creates a lot of peace. 
it does. And we're such a peace-loving group of people. <laughs> no, the Lord, and one of my favorite incarnation texts is where, where um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Zacharias is given his prophecy. And he says this of the Lord Jesus. He will guide our feet into the way of peace. Oh, our feet need to be guided into the way of peace. You know, and when you're biting and devouring each other, think about that text, that Jesus Christ can guide your feet into the way of peace. And that will make you different. Proverbs says, any fool can start a quarrel. A lot of fools around here. Any fool can start a quarrel. But there's hope because Jesus Christ guides his people into the way of peace. Blessed, blessed are the peacemakers. That's your calling. That's my calling. And this matter of submission to authority, I haven't gone completely off. They're connected, aren't they? Absolutely. They're connected. You can pursue peace often by submitting to authority. Okay. <clears throat> so, now, regarding our behavior towards civil authority, we must be careful to give no credibility to false accusations that, that we are bad and harmful citizens. Verse 15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. The doing of good here is a submission to civil authority. Of course, we must use the Lord's definition of good and evil. And at times this will lead an errant civil authority to label us as evildoers. Yet, in God's sight, we are doing good, even though they label us as evildoers. Gets down to your definitions, good and evil. What is good and evil? Such situations lead to what Peter describes in chapter 3. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Okay? Don't fear. Nobody can harm you. That doesn't mean you're not going to suffer. <laughs> What's going to happen is, is you're going to suffer and not truly be harmed. Right? And who is there who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Okay? <clears throat> so, yes, we know there are exceptions from examples in Scripture when God's people have disobeyed civil authority and they have suffered. There are exceptions. And there are times when we're actually called to do so. And then we're going to suffer for righteousness' sake. But understand this. In cases where the civil government is simply unreasonable, even unjust, but not commanding us to sin, 
We are to be an example of bearing an injustice. It doesn't say submit when you think the authority is reasonable. That same standard applies to all five of those authority realms. It doesn't say just submit when you think. Ladies, it doesn't say, I'll pick on the men too, but it doesn't say submit when you think your husband is reasonable. No, 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 no. The only option you have of not submitting to your husband is when he is actually commanding you to sin. Then you can't submit to your husband. Masters and slaves. Slave, submit to your master when he's good and kind and reasonable. No, no, the text doesn't say that. Submit to your masters, even the unreasonable ones. And in those situations, brothers and sisters, the glory of Christ shines in those places. That you are different shines in those places. Okay. So it's the same with the civil government. Just because they're unjust and unreasonable doesn't mean you get to disobey. Like if you're, if you're living in an Islamic country and you won't confess Islam, so you pay double taxes. Is that an injustice? Absolutely that's an injustice. Should you submit to it? Yes. And you should bear the injustice. But it is an injustice. And you may speak out against it. Maybe in an Islamic country you wouldn't speak out about it against it. Yet you can de- determine. So when we say there are exceptions, be sure you don't... Yeah, children, ob- teenagers, obey your parents when you think they're reasonable. Okay? <laughs> no. That isn't going to work. It doesn't work in any any of those spheres of authority. But, yeah, when it comes to where we're, be- we're being commanded to violate the Lordship of Christ over us, then we cannot submit. Now, I think I said something there about a handout. Where is that? Okay. There are exceptions. And, yeah, I need the back of your bulletin outline. How about someone... Hand me one. I was going to use it off of there. Thank you. Okay. Let's go a little further on that. Now, get that little thing out about these situations we're talking about. This won't take too long, but these are some distinctions that I think are helpful. What does Christ require of us in relation to the civil authorities? There are three responses on the left. What Christ requires of us must obey the civil authority. Christ requires that we submit to civil authority. Simple examples. These are very simple, but they're easy to illustrate. We must obey. Obtain a driver's license to drive on the public roadways. That's not a sin, obtaining a driver's license. We must submit. We must obey. Pay property tax if you own property. We must obey. That's a must obey. Okay? Now, there's another category, a second category. second category is this. We may obey or we may disobey. This is a different category. 
Here, the disobeying the civil authority is not disobedience to Christ. We're in, a, we're in a situation here now where disobeying the civil authority is not disobedience to Christ. Neither is submitting to the civil authority disobedience to Christ. You can submit or not submit. And neither of those is disobedience to Christ. Here's the example of that. Civil authority commands a missionary to leave the city. Okay? No civil ruler has the authority from God to forbid the preaching of the gospel in their city. Okay? No civil authority. They've stepped out of their God-delegated authority when they do that. No civil authority has the authority to forbid the gospel being preached in their city. So you may disobey that civil authority and remain and continue to preach the gospel in that city. You may, and that will be obeying Christ. You will not be disobeying Christ, in this case, for disobeying the magistrate who said you can't preach the gospel here. You're actually obeying Christ because he's called you to preach the gospel, hasn't he? However, when they persecute you in this city, flee to the next. So, submitting and leaving the city is not disobedience to Christ either. Got it? This is a choose-your-battle situation in this middle category. It's very important to work through that. I hope that makes sense. Now, on the bottom, we've gone all the way to must disobey civil authority. Christ requires that we disobey the civil authority. And he does at times. The Hebrew midwives are an example of that. We're not going to kill these babies. The Hebrew midwives, they must disobey. Now we're in a situation where Christ requires us to disobey whatever the consequences. The Hebrew midwives, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, were worshiping Nebuchadnezzar's idol. Daniel chapter 3, worship the image. And uh, so forth. So there's your little, a, little, a little way to think through those categories. We go from must obey to must disobey. And that's following Christ's authority. right? And... If you want those Wednesday night studies, we, we uh, in detail, uh, work our way through all kinds of situations and examples of, of that. But there, there's your principle. Now, <clears throat> moving on. Peter mentions the reason we are to submit. This is our last major point for this morning, and it's the most important. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man For the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, what is implied by Peter is expressly stated by Paul. God has put these authorities in place. That's why we are to submit to them. Romans 13, 1 through 2, I'll read it for you again. It was read in the scripture reading. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, 
For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. So what Peter implies, uh, assumes, Paul states explicitly, For the Lord's sake, we are submitting to these authorities because we know that it's actually God's authority through them. And Paul and Peter strongly believe that God has established these authorities. That conviction is based on Old Testament theology regarding God and the nation. And and I don't want to be controversial. Maybe it'll be a controversial statement. When you interpret Romans 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2, you have to use a theology of the Old Testament about nations. Okay, you have to do that. So submitting for the Lord's sake is equivalent to Paul in Romans 13.5 for conscience sake. In Romans 13, 5. That is your conscience before God. If you don't obey the civil authority, you're going to muck up your conscience between you and God because God appointed that civil authority. That's what they're saying. Okay. And do it for the Lord's sake. I dislike that guy. For the Lord's sake. You can see right through that guy. And no, you're submitting to that guy for the Lord's sake. You may even remind that guy that the Lord is holding him responsible to use his authority. Absolutely. And we should do that with all of our lawmakers. You got this authority because God gave it to you, and I'm submitting to you, but you need to understand my submission. I'm submitting to you even though I believe you're practicing an injustice that God holds you accountable for. Because there's no authority except that which is of God. Okay? So work through the 34 sessions on Wednesday night if, if, if you want to go further. And I'm going to try to put a kind of a table of contents on there so you can find the things you're looking for. But this is the key thing here for Peter and Paul. For the Lord's sake. So, therefore, Paul says, therefore, you must be subject. I'm, I'm reading Romans 13, 5 now. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience. What's he talking about? You, you must be subject not only because of the power of the sword. You know, you're going to get in trouble if you don't submit that's how the unbeliever submits. Well, you know, I don't want to go and have five years in prison, so I'll submit. Okay? Coercion, that's fine. Governments have the power of coercion. That's what laws are. Laws coerce people to obey. And the government has that power to use justly. But Paul says a Christian's behavior is not just because they're afraid of the sore. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, in the Romans 13 context, that's the wrath of the king, 
but also for conscience sake. And that's the main motivator for the Christian. Very significant. It makes you appear very different in the world. This is a major difference between the believer and the non-believer. The non-believer submits because he fears the sword, whatever the coercion is. Okay? He fears that's the idea of the sword, the power to coerce. Yes, and it includes capital punishment. Power to coerce. Government has that kind of power from God and is supposed to use it justly, to use it justly. So the non-believer submits because of the, he fears the sword. But the believer submits for the Lord's sake, for conscience' sake. That is very, very different attitude. It's transformative. It's revolutionary. And the early pagans saw that in those early Christians. They did. And they write about it in their apologies, in their, apolog- their defenses about how they're the best citizens in the Roman Empire. They just won't worship the Roman gods. But they're the best citizens that Rome has. Christians should be the best of citizens. Let's pray. Father, your wisdom and your word is revolutionary. And we confess that we are not on our own a submissive bunch. (laughs) But, O Lord, how as a loving Father you have taught us that our safety comes by submitting to the authorities that you have established. And, Lord, countless times in our lives we have not done that. And so we begin by asking for your forgiveness when as husbands and wives and masters and servants and citizens and all of these things, when we have not submitted to the authority for your sake, for those things, Lord, we ask your forgiveness. And we thank you that you promise it to us so freely and fully every day. And then we ask you, for power by your Holy Spirit, by the resurrection of Christ, to motivate us anew to follow you. And yes, submit for your sake. What a gracious God you are. You mean us no harm and only good, Lord, by the authorities you have constructed for us. Thank you for doing that as our loving Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.